Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. There's a story in the Bible of a guy named Jacob who loved a girl named Rachel, and he worked for seven years to marry her. Because he loved her so much, time flew by, and then the big day came. And so did the next morning. But when Jacob awoke, he found out he had not married Rachel, but Rachel's sister Leah. How do you not know who you're married to until the next morning? But the truth is, no one knows who they married until the next morning, or the next year, or the next decade. We are in a series right now, taking a look at the relationship of Jacob and Leah and how their story can impact the way we see our own marriages. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. Hey, if you're a guest, we are so glad to have you worshiping with us today. We are wrapping up a series. Today is the fourth and final part of a series we've been doing called Jacob and Leah, as you've seen right there. And so we started off the series on a message called, uh, what was it called? Waking Up. There you go. I've been doing this all day. There you go. Waking Up, because the reality is none of us knows who we've married until after the wedding. Somewhere along the way, we discover something. So, you know, for Jacob, he woke up and behold, it was the wrong woman. Woo! (laughs) That was funny. And then uh, part two, we talked about outrunning shadows. Because every single one of us brings who we used to be into our marriage. What are we bringing into our marriage? Week three, we called it chasing love because every one of us has needs. We have needs. Our soul needs something. And the problem is we're needy and we're broken. We go into marriage thinking that our spouse can do things that only God can do. There are needs that only God can meet. Now, look, if you missed any of those three parts, I want to encourage you to go get them. They're online on our website. You can go catch all of those. But we did one more part that is not online, and I just want to, you know, say this and rub it in to everybody who skipped. (laughs) If y'all are not going to laugh with me, I'm going to be in trouble today. Come on, y'all. And uh, anyway, it was a special part we did on a Sunday night, live only, not on the internet. Uh, And then it was about the dysfunctional intimacy that they clearly had when they consummated the marriage with the wrong person. (laughs) Something, I didn't make up the Bible. Don't y'all look at me all holy like I just made that up. That was, that's in the Bible right there. So something is clearly wrong. We did a QA and a with the pastoral team and their spouses about intimacy. If you missed that, you're just going to have to put it on your calendar for the next time we do a marriage series and and don't, don't miss that one next time. So today we're wrapping up the series. And so as we've been doing this, we've been sharing some stories with you of our, our own lives. And uh, one of the stories I'm going to tell you today kind of comes from our honeymoon. I get away with that because my wife came to the first service and I got in enough trouble for that because she has officially barred me from telling you any of the honeymoon stories. So I'm going to quickly sneak one in. Is that okay? You guys get good with that? So as I told you last week, uh, our, our marriage started off so rocky that we had one of the biggest fights anybody could ever have actually on our wedding day, on the wedding night. So by the next morning, I left. I left the room. I went on a prayer walk, right? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, prayer walk. Truth is, it was a prayer walk. I was truly praying. It went like this. My God, what have I done? Come on. Married people ever said something like Pretty sure my wife was in the room praying kind of the exact same prayer. So we would have a big fight, and then we would kind of try to figure out how to have a mediocre sort of day, and then there was another big fight, and then kind of an okay day, and then another big fight, and then a bad day. And that was kind of the story of our honeymoon. 
And so we were bouncing around doing this European tour. Doesn't that sound amazing? I mean, we got married in Eastern Europe, so we had the opportunity to do a European tour. Who would like a European tour for their honeymoon, right? Yeah, just make sure you go with somebody that's not going to fight with you the whole time. That's just that's free advice from the pastor. Okay. Anyway, so we were on country number three, going to Austria at this point, and uh, we had a little miscommunication with the travel agent. And, and what I thought was supposed to be a romantic little quaint cabin in the Austrian Alps, turns out we were booked for the 14th floor of the Holiday Inn in the second largest city in Austria. So not at all what we were going for. But that actually is not the biggest problem in the story. The biggest problem is as we were checking in and my wife is standing beside me and they slide that little sheet of paper across on the counter where you're supposed to initial and sign and it's got your daily rate on there. She looked down at that and said, what? And it turns out that what we were supposed to pay each night was her annual salary. She couldn't comprehend and she didn't want to do that. So she said, we're not staying here. And I said, of course we're staying here. It's the only place we got reservations. She says, prove it. And so she got her bag and she walked out the door. She left me in the lobby on my honeymoon by myself. Come on, anybody? So I had to go out to the street and explain to her that, that there's no $5 hotels down the street like they have in her country. This was right after the fall of communism. Things were a little different back then. And, and so eventually, after a nice argument out on how we were about to spend a night homeless, since the only room we had was inside the hotel, she, she finally gave in and we went into the hotel and didn't talk through dinner and kind of had another fight and so be it. So the next day, we're going to try again. And I'm like, let's go do a little tour. Let's drive around. And this was back before GPS on your phone and all that kind of stuff. So just take a little ride through the mountains. And next thing we know, we accidentally ended up in Italy. You can do that kind of stuff in Europe because their countries are the size of our states and even smaller than some of them. And here's the problem, as we accidentally end up in Italy, she didn't have a visa for Italy, and so she begins to panic, but nobody asked for her visa, and it was amazing. So there we are, and we're just driving around, and it's all pretty, and we come up on a castle. Come on, American people, right? Castles, they're cool. And so I said, look, let's go tour this castle. Okay, here's exactly kind of how this conversation went for as close word for word as I can get it. Sitting in the parking lot, having another fight. Come on, let's go tour the castle. My wife, why do I want to see some dumb old house? <laughs> it's a castle. It's a dumb old house. Everything in my country is this old. Everything I've ever seen is this old. Why would I want to pay money to tour a dumb old house? <laughs> Come on, it's a castle. I'm in Europe. This is my only chance. Well, you go ahead. <laughs> we didn't go see that castle. Got into a big fight, we left. Just for the record, I win, because when she came to America, everybody says, you ever been to the Biltmore? I didn't take her there for 20 years. <laughs> so much for that big old house, dumb old house. Actually took somebody in the church giving us free tickets. I still wasn't gonna take her, but we, we ended up going anyway, had a great time. So anyway, we're, we're having such a big fight because of this and, and angry. We had been fighting about everything. And here I am, I'm in Italy, y'all. I'm in Italy, come on, like, you know, seriously. And I'm, there's a castle and everything else and I can't even get my wife out of the car. So we're angry, we decide we're done. We're going back to the hotel. And as we're going back across the border crossing, it turns out that this guard actually wanted to see her visa. So as my wife is pulled from the car at gunpoint and detained by Italian border patrol, it did go through my mind for just a moment. <laughs> uh, come on. That's true. I'll repent later, but that is true. 
But the Holy Spirit prevailed and I did get out of the car and go rescue my wife. I got the border patrol to let go of her under the strict promise that I would never return to Italy with her again. So, so far we've kept that promise, but there is a 25th anniversary coming up, so whatever. Now, when we got back to the hotel at that point, we could not have been more angry. So you know what we did? We cut our, our honeymoon short by two and a half weeks. Just gave up, packed our bags, slamming stuff. That's your stuff. You put your stuff in your bag. That's my bag. You know, that kind of thing. Get in the car. And we just got on the Audubon as fast as that little tiny Fiat would go, man. I had it floored all the way across. And I'm, a, I'm a, a, a pianist. I'm a concert pianist. I was a music major. So on my bucket list of events, like in my early 20s, I was going to knock this out in my early 20s. I was going to get to see the Vienna Philharmonic play in Vienna. And this was a part of our honeymoon. The problem is we were so angry at each other. We went straight through Vienna at 120 clicks. Never looked back, man. There was no way we were going to it. But anyway, we're going to make up for that one because next month on our 23rd anniversary, we're going to see the L.A. Philharmonic play in Disney Music Hall. Come on, that's exciting, isn't it? Y'all don't really care at all. Like, are you kidding me? That's what you want to do? Yeah, leave me alone. That's all right. Anyways, why do I tell you that story? Well, because we got home two and a half weeks early. We didn't have anywhere to go or anything to do. So her family decided it'd be a great idea to go camping with her sister and brother-in-law. Maybe the, the idea of being with another happily married couple would somehow just rub off on us. <laughs> so we were camping. Did I mention that? My wife does not like camping. And we were in a two-man tent. Do you know how big a two-man tent is when the other person has fought with you for the last week and a half? And so we were sitting in this tent all zipped up about this far apart face to face because that's how big the tent was as we were having a very serious discussion because the wind was too much outside and, and, and we just couldn't get out. And, and we're in this tent and I look at her and say, I am leaving and going back to the U.S. Are you coming? And that was an actual conversation. It was a real conversation. And it was a real question because I didn't know her answer. At that point, the fight was so much and the difficulty was so much. And, uh, you know, I just really began even calculating who even knows I'm married over here, you know, thinking, can I just go home and try to get away with this? I mean, that's the point we were at. We've been doing this series. We've done series before. And even when we do these, everybody comes to us. They want to meet with us and they want to ask questions. And, and every question starts with how. How are you still married? How did you get through those crazy times? How are you now happily married? How, how did you turn things around? How did you fix everything that was broken? And so what I want to talk about today is the foundation of how. Because how is not the question. Why is the question. You see, why we're still married is the reason there's even a how. Why we're still married is the cornerstone of the how. It began with this. We made a promise to each other and to God, and in our eyes, there was no other option. We were both in ministry. We knew what we thought God had called us to do, even though we really couldn't stand each other at the moment and kind of hoped somehow one of us would take an early exit to heaven. <laughs> Outside of that, there was no other way out. And so that is why. As we do this message today, I, I, have, how many of you ever been to the doctor and, and you like when the doctor tells you up front this is going to hurt. How many of you like to know up front this is going to hurt? Yeah, yeah. How many of you like to just be pleasantly surprised and say ouch after the fact? Yeah, okay. Well, you're outvoted. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front. Here we go. Today's message is going to be uh, challenging. 
it's going to be exceptionally hard. And I'm not trying to be exceptionally hard on you, but what I need to share with you is what a, it's honestly, it's God's thoughts about marriage. And, and the truth is sometimes what God has to say is so different from what we want that it's just not easy. You know, Jesus actually did this. And in John, he was saying some things that were so hard. And he, as he was preaching, people literally said, that is a hard saying. Who can accept that? And on that day, it says that many of his disciples turned and left because the message was so hard. So maybe it'll help you if up front, I tell you, today's message is going to be exceptionally hard. But just like when the doctor says, this is going to hurt, surgery's going to hurt, but I'm going to give you some really good meds to help you through it. Who's thankful for really good meds, right? So today, look, this is going to hurt, but the Holy Spirit can help you through it. So I just want to encourage you as we get into this, because we're talking about why we're still married. And that's going to be a challenge. So let me just go ahead a quick time out, and, and let's just talk about something together. We did this in week one. Uh, this series is not meant to condemn anybody who has had a marriage that's already ended, anybody who is no longer on their first marriage or on their second or whatever the story is. This is not meant to condemn anyone who is in a very difficult place or you have an unwilling spouse who you're saying, look, let's try to make this work, and they've literally left you. I've, I'm sorry to say those, those stories happen. I want you to understand that there are times that it is not safe for you to stay. There are reasons. I've even recommended people separate for safety. I've recommended people separate because if you just stay there and silently keep forgiving uh, your, your spouse, you're actually enabling the evil, sinful activity in their lives sometimes. So as I'm talking today, please, please allow the Holy Spirit to help you not get condemned. But let's, let's hear what God's idea is for marriage without anybody feeling like they've messed up. This is not about your past, this is about your future. You see, the thing about past is you can't unscramble an egg. And so we're not here to condemn where we are, we're here to talk about God's plan for moving forward. Is that okay, is everybody with me on that? All right, so as we're looking at the story of Jacob and Leah today, we're, we're going to go much further into the Bible. Jacob and Leah's story actually is way back at the very beginning of the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis. That's where we've been all throughout the series. But today we're going to jump forward several hundred years, and uh, we're in the book of Ruth. If you've got your Bibles, our main passage is only one sentence today. It's out of Ruth chapter 4, but if not, don't worry, it'll be on the screens right here beside me. Let me give you the backstory to this main passage, one sentence. A guy named Boaz, weird name, right? Boaz is getting married to a young lady named Ruth. And as Boaz tells all of his friends he's getting married to Ruth, all of his friends speak a blessing over him. They say, look, Boaz, this is what we want for you. This is what we hope for you. This is the blessing that we speak over you. And in Ruth chapter four, verse 11, this is what they say. May the Lord make the woman Ruth, that is Ruth, may the Lord make Ruth, who's coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah. May God make Ruth like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Wait a minute. Since when did Leah become a role model? Since when does anybody want their daughter to get married and be like Leah? If you've been around for this series or you've ever read the story, the Bible tells us Leah was hated by her husband. She was miserable every day of her marriage. She chased affection with having children and never got anything in return. She was miserable every day from the day she was married to the day that she was buried. 
Why would anybody want that for someone else? We're calling today's message Leah's Legacy. Because despite her misery, despite the pain, despite things not working out the way she wanted, Leah left one of the most incredible legacies on the earth in what she did. It's kind of a strange story if you think about that. But look, listen, if you've ever had a really bad day in your marriage, if you've ever felt betrayed by your spouse, if you've ever been hurt and disappointed beyond words, you probably found yourself crying out to God and saying something like, this is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. And God looks down from heaven and says, you're right. It shouldn't. So let me tell you, God's plan for you, God loves you. And God's plan is to take two of his children and put them together. Two people who will love each other and two people who will love him. Two people who will put the other person's needs above their own. Two people who will give each other the benefit of the doubt, stand with each other, with each other through the hard times. Two people who will do whatever it takes to treat each other the way God would treat them. That's God's plan. The problem is, that ended with Adam and Eve. And if we want that today, we have to fight for it. We have to work for it. It's going to take a lot of repentance. It's going to take a lot of forgiveness. And most of all, it's going to take an unwavering commitment. It's going to take an unwavering commitment. Let's just recap, by the way, how wrong this was for Jacob and Leah, right? I mean, poor Jacob. He's just a, a guy trying to find a wife, and he makes a good deal, and he sticks to his honest deal, and he goes to the father of the bride and says, I will serve you for seven years as the dowry. That's why he had to do that. Some of you think, what was that, slavery or something? No, no, no it was a dowry. He didn't have any money, so he's, he said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work for seven years, and you're going to give me this, this, this woman. She's beautiful. She's your daughter. I think she'll be amazing. I love her. And so that was the thing. But the problem is the, the father-in-law tricked him and gave him the other ugly sister he didn't want instead. That's just crazy, right? Now, some of you are thinking, wow, well, in-laws, I mean, come on, what do you expect? We've all got some, right? Don't, don't nod your heads, you get in trouble, and I'm not responsible for the trouble you get in today, okay? But it wasn't just his father-in-law. He was betrayed by the woman he's about to marry, Leah, right? I mean, because here's Leah the whole night. He doesn't know who she is until the next morning. That meant that nowhere along the way did Leah do something like, hey, I'm not Rachel, I think she had opportunity. She intentionally, probably every time he tried to kiss her, pulled the veil back down. No, no, no. You know, I mean, just imagine. It wasn't until the next morning that she says, hi, honey, would you like coffee? That Jacob goes, excuse me? And you think, well, we could expect that from her. Do you realize he was also betrayed by the love of his life? Nowhere in the story do we hear Rachel shouting out, Jacob! That's not me in the tent. The point is he's been betrayed by his father-in-law. He's been betrayed by Rachel. He's been betrayed by Leah. He's been betrayed by everybody. Then Leah, she has been tricked into marrying somebody or forced into marrying somebody that, that's going to hate her. It's never going to love her. It's never going to treat her well. There couldn't be anything more wrong. 
And yet God does something amazing, and she leaves a legacy on the earth. So what is this legacy I'm talking about that came out of so much misery? Well, it's a part of the Bible that many of us probably don't read. Because, you know, when you're doing your daily Bible reading and you come across the genealogies, and, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, how many of y'all turn the page and go, did my Bible reading today? <laughs> I'm done good. Get to work a little bit early. Woo, love those chapters in the Bible. Come on. Yeah, there you go. All right, so this is in the genealogy. And many of us have probably glossed right over what God did through Leah because we skip genealogy. So Matthew chapter one, verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then it says where he came from. A few generations earlier, he was the son of David, who a few generations earlier was the son of Abraham. And then we began with Abraham and it starts all over like rewinding and going forward again. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And if we could just stop right there for a moment and have a nerd moment. Do I have any nerds in the room that likes nerd moments? Okay, because I'm one of those people, I like history and I like weird stuff, but I especially like this, and I think you will too. I like when a bunch of little strange stories and a bunch of dots all come together and I see the big picture and see what's going on. So if you'll allow me, I've, put a, I've got a little chart here. I'm going to put it on the screen, and I'm going to bring all the dots together into a big picture. It's going to start with this. We've got Abraham, then we've got Isaac, and we've got Jacob. If you've ever been to Sunday school, if you've ever been to church for a while, if you've ever been, uh, or if you've ever read your Bible, you've come across the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? You ever heard that? The God of, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the Bible is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we say that so often. You say, well, why? Because it's the first three generations to whom God revealed himself as a people. He said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And through you, I'm going to do an amazing work on the earth. It started with Abraham, even though he was barren. And God miraculously gave them a son. The son was Isaac. And Isaac, his wife was also barren. Isn't that crazy how God works? And then Isaac eventually had two sons, and one of them was named Jacob, and Jacob, of course, is the star of our story along with Leah. Now, here's the thing. Jacob, you may wonder, wait a minute, so where's Israel? How does Israel fit in? I thought Israel was God's people, and Israel was a nation, so did Jacob, like, who, you know, who came up with the name Israel? Well, God actually did. God renamed Jacob. Jacob became Israel. And so Jacob, known as Israel, went on to have 12 sons, and each one is one of the 12 tribes of Israel that they still refer to today. That, you know, they know which tribe they're from. It's the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's where we're about to see. Jacob is going to have 12 sons with four women. <laughs> I didn't write the Bible, y'all. Again, I didn't do it. So check this out right here. So with Leah, we, we've already read the story and found out he had four sons with Leah. And so then at this point, Rachel's starting to feel a little bad. Rachel's barren. She can't have any children. And in the worst episodes of Sister Wives ever, Rachel says, but I've got a servant and I'll just send my servant in the tent and I'll get credit for those. So Rachel sends her servant into the tent. Her servant gives Jacob two sons. And in the next episode of Sister Wives, Leah is not to be undone. She says, well, I got a servant too. And she sends her servant into Jacob's tent. Again, y'all, it's the Bible. I didn't make this up. And she sends her servant into the tent, and that servant gives Jacob two more sons. And so then God looks down from heaven, and he sees Rachel, the most loved, and yet the one that's getting shown up by two servants and her older sister. And in compassion, God opens her womb, and she has two children. And since she's the favorite wife, the two sons become the favorite two sons of Jacob, and he makes no qualms about it. He makes it very clear. 
Hey, the other 10 of you, these are my favorite. Touch them, you die, because you know, they're my favorite. She's my favorite mama. You, you, your mamas, I don't care much about. I don't care much about you. Just her and these two. Y'all just make sure y'all understand. That's pretty much how that story goes. Talk about daddy hurt wound. I mean, seriously. Somebody needed some counseling for all of that side of the family. And then we know that Leah went on and had two more. And now we're up to 12. You would think if God is going to create a family that rules the earth. And God is going to do a great work through their lineage. That it would come through Jacob and the love of his life and the favored sons. And so you may not know this, but you can probably guess where the punchline's about to go. The amazing thing that God did didn't come through Rachel. It didn't come through the servants. It came through the one who was miserable every day of her marriage for her entire life. You see, Leah gave birth to a guy named Judah. And as we just read, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Judah and his brothers. The favorite boys are lost in the midst with the nine others of his brothers. Judah, Judah was the one. It was actually her fourth. It was where she finally figured out to stop accepting and chasing something from Jacob and instead to just say, I'll praise God for what he's done. His name means praise. And out of Judah, you could say, well, that's cool, that's cool. So, you know, Judah, that's, that's sweet. Good, good job there, Leah. But that's not really what she's known for. That's not her legacy. You see, despite being unloved and miserable every day of her life, it turns out that she was the mother of kings and kingdoms. And actually of a kingdom that has reigned upon the earth every day since it came and will never end. Check this out. A guy named David came out of Judah's lineage and Leah's lineage. Now think about this. David is the only man in all of human history that God has ever said, this guy right here, he's a man after my own heart. Only person in all of human history that ever had that said about him by God. And then he went and wrote most of our Psalms, which we love and we read our Bible. Now I want you to think about this. What if an angel were to show up and say, look, I understand your marriage isn't going the way you want it to. I understand you're not particularly happy, but here's the deal. If you can stick this thing out, I am going to have you become the mother of kings. Matter of fact, he is such an awesome king that every good king for the rest of Israel's history will be called like him, like David, a son of David. And he's gonna be the only person in human history I'm ever gonna say is a man after my own heart. I don't know about you, but that would have made up for me and my wife's miserable honeymoon. That would have like, okay, well, we'll do the bad honeymoon. That'd be worth it, right? And then another step further, not only... Do we have David, who's a king? We end up with Solomon, his son, who's a king. The Bible says he's the wisest man to ever live, and he wrote three of our books of the Bible. Now you got the angel showing up and saying, hey, look, I understand your, your marriage may not be as happy as you want it to be, but you're going to give birth to kings, plural kings. You're going to give birth to the one who is the only man in human history who's after my own heart. He's going to write part of the Bible. People are going to love him for years. His name is never going to stop being mentioned. And also the wisest man that will ever live upon the earth. He will also write part of the Bible. People will never stop talking about him. Is that a good enough legacy for you to put up with a little unhappiness? Well, if you're still saying no, let me give you the ultimate part of the deal because that lineage didn't stop with David, didn't stop with Solomon. Do you know who came out of that? Jesus. Have you ever wondered why we sing songs and call him the Lion of Judah? 
I've asked the worship team to close our service today with that song reminding us, why do we sing the Lion of Judah? It's the Lion of Judah because he comes from that tribe. He comes from a woman who was hated. He comes from something that was so wrong. God, this is so wrong. But see, our God is the master of redemption. And the savior of the world came through a woman who was willing to stick it out in the midst of misery. Now, I don't know about you, but think about this. She has her first son, and she names him. Now, now maybe Jacob will see every time he calls his name. Maybe Jacob will see me. Didn't work. She has her second son. God has heard how hated I am. Names him out. Every time says his name. Doesn't work. She has a third son. Now my, my husband will be attached to me. She named her kids after all of this. And for most of us, if we were unhappily married long enough to have three kids and we name our kids things like, maybe my husband will see me. Now God knows I'm hated. Maybe my husband will be attached to me. And every time your husband had to call those names and it never worked, most of us would say, I'm out. That's enough. I gave it my best shot. Judah was number four. Judah would have never been. And see, here's the good thing about God, is I can fully assure you Jesus would have still been born. Leah just would have lost her legacy. And we would be singing Jesus, the lion of Bob, <laughs> John, Jimmy. What? I mean, it could be that. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? See, the question for us, is what might God do if we stay married through the hard times and give him a chance? That's the question we have to answer today is what might God do if we just give him a chance? See, the problem for us is that God's idea of marriage is dramatically different from the idea of marriage in the world around us. God's idea of marriage is, hey, here's what we're going to do through marriage. We're going to show the world unconditional love. Here's what we're going to do through marriage. We are going to make each spouse more like me as I put you with somebody that is going to rub every sharp edge off of you. Here's my idea of marriage. We're, we're going to have an opportunity for me to do something so amazing you couldn't see it coming for a generation away. I mean, who would have ever thought as Leah is sneaking in to the tent, holding Jacob's hand, of what should be Rachel's tent, thinking that she's about to get away with this, what would it ever cross her mind that out of this deception, hurt, pain, and hatred will come the Savior of the world? What might God do if we just give him a chance? That's the question. You see, but our culture has a completely different idea of marriage. Our culture's idea of marriage is that it is for our happiness. Anybody in here seen Jerry Maguire? Right, come on. Our culture's idea of marriage is you complete me. And then, of course, all the ladies go, stop. You had me at hello. <laughs> now, you know why I'm preaching, not acting. And as your wife sitting there, she's wiping tears from her. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That's a wonderful movie. We're all sitting there going, Tom Cruise is an idiot. I would never stand up in front of my wife's friends and say, you complete me. It's the dumbest movie I've ever seen, right? Come on, guys, are you with me? Crazy. So here's the thing. We don't understand the significance of marriage. 
As long as we think it's, oh, you complete me. God, please give me somebody who completes me. Then, then we don't get what God is doing on the bad days. We don't get what God wants to do. Here's the truth. Leah never had a good day. Her wedding night wasn't even hers. I mean, come on. At least most of us, when we have our wedding night, our spouse knows who they're with. And then seven days later, her husband goes off and marries somebody else. She never had a good day. And yet, look at what God did through her marriage. Now, I want to show you something, because this was no accident. So we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back to before this series began, and we're going to see something that happened to Jacob before he met Rachel and Leah. This is back in Genesis chapter 28. Watch this. We've got Jacob. Let me, let me just give you the backstory. We've got Jacob has taken a walk. He has left his mother and his father. He is on his way to find a wife. He lays down one night to sleep a little bit, and while he is sleeping, he has a dream. And in this dream, God gives him a vision of something that God is doing. There's a ladder that reaches up to heaven. This is where we pick up the story. And behold, the Lord stood above that ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Did I mention Jacob's a single dude? Jacob's a single man, has no offspring. And to your offspring... Did y'all hear me tell you he's a single man? Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. That's uh, probably more than one or two kids. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring. Did I mention he's a single man? And, and to your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look, here's the thing. The last time I checked, the only way that Jacob was going to fulfill his destiny was with the help of a woman. I should have had some ladies go amen on that one right there. Come on, y'all. He's not going to do anything amazing based on his career. He's not going to do anything amazing based on his skills. He's not going to leave a legacy based on the business that he started, the PhD that he earned, or the books that he wrote. No, the only way that Jacob is going to make a difference in the world is through his marriage. How would you like for God to say something like that to you when you're a single person? I'm going to do something amazing. It's got nothing to do with any skill in you, any dream in you, any desire in you, any business plan in you, any... It, it, no! But I'm going to do it through your marriage. Now, what do you think you would do at that point? At this point, Jacob says, let me talk to God. God just talked to me. I'm going to talk to God. So let's find out what Jacob says to God at this point. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. <laughs> How many of you are pe people are thankful for Target where you can get like down feathers in a little bag, you know? We live like kings, seriously. Rock under his head. Okay. And he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Man, let me tell you something. This is weird. Let me tell you why this is weird. First of all, God has never told anybody to give a tenth of anything to him. The idea of tithing does not exist yet. Jacob is simply saying, well, if you're going to be good to me, I guess, you know, I'll be good to you, whatever, you know. Look, I, I recognize if you do all these things, you should get a little piece of it, right? So J Jacob utters the most selfish prayer in, in what I think is probably all of human history, one of the most selfish 
prayers, one of the dumbest prayers, because he leaves out something really important, but he actually is willing to give God 10% of everything. Isn't that kind of crazy? So here's what he says. Well, God, if you'll take care of me, if you'll just keep me alive, give me some fresh bread, because I'm wandering across the desert, don't really know where it's coming from, but you know, a little bit of steak every now and then. Filet mignon's kind of nice too. If you'll keep me closed, the American Eagle will do, but Gucci's awesome. And if you just make sure I get back home safe, I'm really good with that. That's, uh, and if you can do that, I'm just going to say you're God. That, that's, I mean, I'm setting the bar pretty low here, God. You got to meet that one, and, and I'll, I'll call you God. And, and if you give me all that and you do all of that, I'll, I'll just throw a little 10% over your way and take care of you. Can we rewind a minute? God comes to him and says, every family on earth for all of history is going to be blessed through what's going to happen in your marriage. Let's set the stage. Jacob is literally walking to find a wife. God says, on his journey through the desert to find a wife, I'm going to do something amazing through you and your wife. And Jacob prays for everything from the bread to the clothes to the safe trip back home, but he never mentions a wife. Does anybody find this remarkable? He doesn't seem to care that he needs the right wife to carry out his destiny. He never mentions a woman at all in her prayer because he does not understand what most people do not understand, and that is the significance of marriage. See, he does what most of us think. God said it, marriage is easy. God says, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do it, you don't gotta worry about it. Jacob says, I'm gonna get a woman, I'm gonna do it, you don't gotta worry about it. Okay, no, I don't need to pray about that. How many of us, I don't need to pray about that. I'll get a wife, I'll get a husband. God will do whatever God's gonna do. I don't need to pray about that. Yes, you do. Just because God says, this is what I wanna do through you, he should've got on his knees and said, oh God, give me the right wife. God, give me the right woman to be a partner in this. God, give me someone who is going to be a mother of kings if we're going to bless every family on the earth. God, give me someone. He should have been asking a different question than who's the pretty girl by the well. He should have been thinking about something else. If you're single, raise your hand. I don't care how young you are. If you're single, raise your hand. If you're a youth in here, raise your hand, right? Okay, here, I want you to hear something. The most important decision you will ever make in your entire life is who you will spend eternity with. Will you spend eternity in fellowship with God or in punishment with the enemy? Will you spend eternity in fellowship with God in heaven or will you spend eternity in punishment with the devil in hell? That's the most important decision and question you will ever answer. The second most important question you will ever answer, most important decision you'll ever make is who will you spend life on earth with? First one is eternity, second one is life on earth. Because life on earth can be hell on earth if we don't do the opposite of what Jacob did. Well, God said I'll do it. I'm on my way to find a wife. I'll find one somewhere out there as a girl. It doesn't really matter. I don't need to pray about it. I'll just find one. They'll all be okay because God's already said he's going to do something amazing. God's plan, marriage, it's all easy. Who cares? Married people, it ain't easy, is it? He missed everything. He missed everything. If you have now if you ever have had a troubled marriage. You want the miracle story that my wife and I have been sharing. You want to know how. But the truth is, we all want a miracle story, and very few of us are willing to be married long enough for the miracle to come. That's the hard truth. 
You know what the unpopular message is that I need to give today? You know, I told you it was going to be a hard message. You want to know what the hard truth is. How long do you need to stay married and wait on your spouse to change? My answer, only as long as God waited on you. Oh, that hurt, doesn't it? You see, I gave my life to Jesus at 16. That meant she had 16 years, at least. But I didn't really follow Jesus at 16. It was honestly in my 20s when I got serious about making Jesus the king of my life and started choosing different choices. And so, at the very least, I owed her 20 years. God waited on me 20. And the second question I'm going to ask you is, how much should you forgive your spouse? Only as much as God's forgiven you. I told you this was going to be an exceptionally hard message. Because everybody wants what we have, but nobody wants the why. You see, how we're still married, that's a miracle, I don't even know. It's why we're still married that matters. Because on our worst days, we knew what God had called us to do. And we didn't know how we would get there based on the way our marriage was working, but we weren't going to give up. Because we knew that when we walked away from each other, we were walking away from our calling and our destiny and our ministry. We, we would have walked away from everything and it was a price we just weren't willing to pay. And because we weren't willing to pay that price and we stayed, God was able to do something. What might God do if we stay around long enough to give him the chance? So just like Je uh, Leah had every right to walk out after one or two or three, there would have never been a Judah. And my wife and I were having our greatest difficulties. There was a huge gap before our last three children. The truth is, we may not have made it through the three. We may not have had four kids. Might have only had one, might have had two. Who knows? You see, it was 12 years into our marriage before anything even began to turn around. If you've had two bad years, we still got a decade on you. Matter of fact, we were 12 years into our marriage and I was actually being fired because our marriage was so disqualifying that I could no longer continue in ministry. You wanna talk about God redeeming the wrong, redeeming the mess? Who would have ever thought that the best thing for their marriage was to get fired because of it? And part of our severance package was some ministry. And the ministry actually began to plug all of those broken holes we talked about last week. So we could begin to see each other differently and be free to receive from each other differently. It took a few years to get from bad to okay, a few more to get from okay to good, and a few more to get from good to great. We have great marriage now. Truth is, this is the first marriage series we've ever done that we didn't fight. She had lunch with a couple of pastor's wives in the city a month ago and said, we're getting ready to do a marriage series. And they all said, oh, I'm so sorry. It just seems to be the thing. We just figured that's the way it always would be, except this is the first one. And the thing is, most people would honestly have never given 12 years of what we went through. 12 years. I mean, I walked out the morning 
after the wedding night. In 12 years, she was very unloved, much like Leah. In 12 years, I was very, very disrespected. For 12 years, we hid everything. We hid hopes, we hid dreams, we hid whatever, because we knew we weren't dreaming together. We hid our hurts and our fears and our pain because we couldn't have a conversation that wasn't a fight. Verbal abuse, emotionally absent, physically absent because I worked 70 hours a week and volunteered at the church the rest of the time just to stay away from the woman I was gonna fight with if I went home. She had to put up with competition for my job and ministry and who would do that for 12 years? We had one child and couldn't have another child, not even with fertility medication. It seemed like God was saying, like, cut your losses and run. Matter of fact, around seven or eight years into that misery, one of the missionaries that was on our team together in Romania, that was at our wedding, who supposedly knows the Bible and teaches people to do what Jesus says, secretly went to her and said, I will buy you a one-way plane ticket. I'll drive you to the airport and I'll never tell Jimmy what happened to you. Are you kidding me? The number of friends that we had that tried to say, just quit, stop it. So how are we still married? It's why we're still married. Because we knew what God wanted to do. We weren't walking away from it. Just like Leah was not going to let Jesus be the lion of whatever. I don't know that she had a clue what God was going to do through her. But she stayed and gave him a chance to do something amazing. Babe, would you come on up here? We're going to close by praying for you. I figure there's no better way to end this series than to take what authority we think we've earned in the spiritual realm, in the realm of marriage, and to pray a blessing on you. You see, our hope for you is that you won't go through what Leah went through. Our hope for you is you won't go through what we went through. And we, we've shared our story and we've tried to teach our way through Jacob and Leah so that you could hopefully have a much, much better chance. I'd like to ask you if you're married, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you to pretend you're, or you're happily married. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask all the married people to stand up and hold hands because we'd like to pray for you. If you're married and your spouse isn't in the room or beside you at the moment, please stand up anyway. And we're gonna pray for you. Uh, before I, we do, I just wanna say something that was, uh, a moment where it was a turnaround for me was I was remember I was praying for Jimmy like constantly for him to change and for God to change him and I mean I was like obsessed like you need to change him you need to change him so the Lord said hey Ramona and I was like not not now Lord I'm praying um, um, so he gave me a vision of myself with my hands wrapped around his neck, just being so uptight about changing him. And um, the Lord said, I am perfectly capable of talking to my own child, so please stop being the Holy Spirit Junior. 
and um, it was the turnaround for me because I just let God work and talk to him. And I, I even used to say after a fight, so I was like, God will get you for that. She did. <laughs> um, so I, I'll, I'll pray. Father, we come, Lord, before you with our marriages and our brokenness, Lord. I pray that you heal our hearts. I pray that you restore marriages, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will fill us with your spirit and help us, Lord, to ask for help when we need it. God, we just pray for faith. We pray for perseverance. God, we pray for honoring the covenant above our feelings. God, every one of us is going to have a moment and an opportunity where we can choose happiness for now or we can choose legacy for eternity. And I pray for every marriage in this room right now that we will choose legacy, that we will choose your ways and we will choose our promise over our feelings and that we will begin to work on making the changes to build a great marriage. If you would just stand in an attitude of prayer, I want to pray for those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Just a minute ago, I explained the most important decision you will ever make is who you will spend eternity with. And fortunately, we are very blessed because there is nothing we have to do to earn the right to spend eternity with God. He did that for us. Jesus died on the cross voluntarily saying that I'm doing this for you because you can't do it for yourself. And every single one of us at some point in history just needs to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that here today. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front or anything, but right where you're seated or standing right now, if you would just join me and pray. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.